I would say 23 has left me hungry, but every day I'm thankful for getting to do this. And I'm working hard to remember to slow down now and then and reflect and be grateful for just how awesome the day-to-day is because racing will always be up and down. And if you're completely a slave to the highs and lows, it's going to be a pretty rough ride. And so sitting back and kind of appreciating it for all of its aspects is something that I want to continue to work on and, and try to keep in mind. It's showtime, everybody! Showtime! You've been living in a dream world, Neo. Yeah. This is the world as it exists today. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around yeah. once in a while. You could miss it. Listen, we talking about practice. Hey, Pete, on the dude's run. Donnie, you're out of your element. I see. You think this has nothing to do with you. Yeah. Don't ever trash talk black Jesus. This is the Adventure Stash with Pace and McKelvin. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Um, sorry for my voice today. I am getting over a pretty heavy week plus long cold and my voice is going a little bit. Um, but I do want to say Happy New Year's Eve if you are in North America or Europe. Uh, for those of y'all listening right now in Far East Asia or down under, Happy New Year. It's already 2024. Um Speaking of global considerations, um, we of course know, because we can see on the back end, that there are people that listen and tune into this show from all over the world. Um, But even so, it's been really cool to have a couple people come up to us here in Jerome already and mention that they really enjoy the show. It's really sweet to meet listeners from all over the world uh, and means a lot. And before doing anything else this episode, I just want to say a huge thank you to all of y'all that have listened to one episode this year or all episodes, anyone that is engaged on the social channels, send in email requests, questions, ideas, questions for today's episode. All of y'all, the community is what makes this podcast. And especially in this day and age when we have a lot of surface level media, uh, long form like this that cultivates a community uh, is, is really special to me. And clearly it's special to a handful of y'all as well. Uh, and I just wanted to say a very heartfelt thank you from both me and Lily for listening and 2024, we're not going anywhere. Um, there may be some changes to how the podcast looks. Um, but the product itself, the long form interviews will remain the bread and butter of it. And uh, as always, if you have ideas, please send them in. This is a great time of year for us to mull over ideas and potentially implement them in the new year. Uh, so as always, send an email to theadventurestash at pacemckelvin.com. One of the ideas that's been recurring is YouTube videos. And so along with six to 10 minute clips from some of our episodes, Lily has been, I think she started uploading a couple of full length interviews, the videos of those. Uh, so you can go to my YouTube channel, which is just Pace and McKelvin, if you'd like to watch some of these episodes. As always, you can go to the Adventure Stash to play our Friday quizzes um, with your chance to win some free swag. 
um, or to watch weekly reels from uh, the respective weekly episode. Like I said at the top of the show, I've been sick for almost over a week now, so uh, we were not able to start checking off any of the interviews that I'm really excited about over here in Girona. Um, so instead, we're pulling an Audible and doing a Q&A episode. It's been a while since we did one of these. Thank you, everyone that's sending questions. Big diversity here. Of course, a lot of it bike-related, some nerdy stuff, some broader stuff. But sit back, enjoy, and I'll catch you after the show. Okay, let's get into these questions. Um, I've narrowed it down to 30. It's an ambitious number, but a good handful of them will be quick answers, single sentence type answers. And I'm going to try to keep this fairly tight in general. I definitely have a propensity to be long-winded and ramble a bit because I'm passionate about these topics, of course, but I'm going to do my best to be efficient today. We may have to cut it down to more like 20 or 25, depending on how we're doing on time, but we'll hopefully get through all 30. Not in any particular order here. We fielded questions from all over the place. The question stickers put out on the respective social media channels, uh, even comment sections, direct messages, a couple of emails, all that sort of thing. So thank you for the good diversity of questions, and let's dive right in. Are you and the other Lifetime guys going to do the World Cup in Lake Placid? I imagine one or two of the Grand Prix racers may jump in to that World Cup, but I would be surprised if it's more than a very small handful. Uh, It's just really hard to combine the preparation of the Grand Prix uh, and World Cup style races. Um, The scheduling is one thing, but I personally think that the bigger challenge is just the training. Uh, They're vastly different disciplines at this point. I know Haley Smith and Andrew Lesperance did a couple in 2022. And of course, Hannah Otto has uh, balanced some World Cup racing along with uh, the Grand Prix. But it's a huge challenge. Um, I expect Hannah to do that race, maybe even someone like Alex Wild. But I would be very surprised if it was more than just a couple. They're practically different sports at this point, um, and it's just a monumental task to stay that sharp physically and bike handling-wise for the World Cups and also spend the amount of time that you need to on your gravel bike to prepare for four to ten-hour gravel races simultaneously. They certainly do not complement each other at this point. What gets Payson to do a race other than the Grand Prix? Is it the course? Is it an interesting location? or the history of the race, maybe. Um, Kind of good segue to the previous question. I would say it's a mix of all those things, but probably top of the list is, yeah, kind of history and prestige. Um, I certainly have done races because they have awesome courses, you know, something like BC Bike Race, um, a lot of the Epic Rides races. Um, But the, yeah, the prestige is certainly key. The energy and participation of the event. I'm thinking of something like Iceman um, in Traverse City, Michigan, which, you know, doesn't have the most noteworthy course per se, but just has this incredible history, um, incredible energy, and of course, just a massive number of participants. That's been one of my longstanding favorites. So it's a mix of things. And sometimes location you know, absolutely can play a role like uh, going to Mongolia, for example, for a six-day stage race. 
Um, I did a World Cup test event in China one time, not because World Cups were really a focus, but just because I wanted to check out China. Um, did a crazy race down in Argentina one time. Just again, it was a UCI race and I wasn't really chasing points, but just wanted to go to Argentina. So that's one of the really nice things about being an individual racer, um, running your own program is you get to have a lot of say over your own schedule and what events you do. Um, and I've certainly taken advantage of that over the years. Will you be dipping your toes into events that can earn UCI points for a better gravel world starting position? Would love to see you guys get a better chance at podiums without having to gut yourself to get to the front. Um, also related to the previous two questions, as of now, uh, I don't plan on pursuing UCI gravel next year. Um, after some soul searching, I realized that the Grand Prix is just such a massive opportunity and what I want to focus on primarily. And in 2022, when I uh, did very few races outside of the Grand Prix races, that was when I was at my best and when I was the most prepared. Um, this past year, I had that string of races towards the end of the year uh, where it was seven in a row. I think it went, what was it? National cha- Gravel National Championships, straight into Schwamigan, uh, I think straight into the Durango Derby, uh, right into the Trinidad Grand Prix, Gravel Worlds in Italy, and then Little Sugar 100K Mountain Bike Race, and then Big Sugar Grand Prix Finals Gravel Race. Um, and the, <laughs> I mean, the, the really funny thing is you actually lose fitness when you do that many race weekends in a row because it's kind of like, you know, you have to, you have to taper for all of those. Like where are you going to take, are you going to train through the national championships? No. Um, I did train through Durango Derby. That was the one that we did allow me to kind of train through. Are you going to train through a Grand Prix race at Schwamigan? No. Are you going to train through, um, uh, Trinidad? Grand Prix, no. Worlds, absolutely not. Little Sugar, no. That's a huge race for Allied and uh, awesome opportunity. Big Sugar, of course, not going to train through that. So you're just doing all of these tapers uh, every single week and the fitness just goes down. You know, one big race effort per week just isn't enough to maintain fitness. So I, you know, was, was fighting to stay above 90 CTL on my training peaks, you know, by, by little sugar, which is a solid 25 points below where, where I like to be at minimum. So that's kind of what it comes down to. Unfortunately, I would love to go to worlds again next year and be prepared for it with UCI points and and chase some UCI races. But, um, there's so many awesome opportunities out there right now. And for 2024, the grand prix will be my focus and other races will be secondary. So maybe in 25 or even after that, um, I'll, I'll take another swing at doing some UCI gravel. But for now, the Grand Prix will be primary focus. This one comes from Bavaria. That is very cool. As far as I can see on Instagram, Ulrich Bartholomew's is riding his gravels around Girona at the moment. Might be too spontaneous, but maybe have him on the show, question mark. Cheers from the Isar Valley to Girona, and a happy new year. Akim, I think is how you pronounce that person's name. That is awesome. I don't think that there's a question in there, but it's a really nice note, and I totally agree. Getting Ulrich Bartholomew's, the defending 
Tour Divide winner, uh, one of the top bike pack racers in the world as a guest would be awesome. And I will be sending him a message. Absolutely. Should the Grand Prix redistribute some prize money from the overall to individual races? Yes. Um, in fact, I was disappointed. This is going to sound weird and it's totally a luxury problem, but I was disappointed when I saw the announcement that they had increased the overall prize purse from 250K to 300K because in my mind, 250K and 300K, those are both big numbers. They sound impressive. Awesome. It's very sweet that we have that overall payout, uh, but it doesn't change the story of the Grand Prix series. If you had standardized prize money for every single round, top five, top 10, top 10 ideally, uh, for every single Grand Prix where it was predictable, it didn't matter if it was Leadville or Crusher, first place took home $5,000 or whatever it is, I think that would be preferable. It would create even that bit more prestige for each individual round. And I think help kind of level the focus to an extent that racers take to each round because right now let's be honest most racers are more likely to peak for Leadville than they are for Crusher because if you win Leadville that changes your career if you win Crusher it's very cool but it's not necessarily going to land you in the Hall of Fame shall we say as awesome as a race it is in its own right so I think if there, if there was more evenly distributed prize money throughout the year basically if they just taken that extra 50k that they threw into the overall and evenly distributed it through all of the individual races i would have been very excited about that with your race calendar being so full what do you find is most helpful for recovery mid-season being home end of story um that goes so far at this point to recharging batteries and just getting back to kind of a, a sustainable pace. If we have a chance to be home mid-year, taking it. How much do cross-country mountain bike pros worry about dialing in suspension? Totally depends on the rider. Um, I know some riders that fiddle around with suspension pretty much nonstop, you know, switching tokens in and out, trying different settings, doing lots of testing, and then there's other riders who set it up when they get a new bike and forget about it the rest of the year. Um, I'm probably kind of somewhere in the middle. Um, I have had uh, the misfortune of not paying attention to my suspension closely enough and uh, having it cause a mechanical where basically I bottomed out the suspension really hard and it caused a puncture in Leadville in 2022. That was a big lesson. Um, so I do take more of a detailed oriented perspective to it now, but it totally depends on the rider. Best place you have ridden in 2023? Oof. Not big into absolutes like that. I think one of the really awesome, fortunate things is that I get to ride all over the world on a bunch of different types of terrain, on a bunch of different bikes. I mean, if I think about just the races I do, forget all the awesome training rides, exploratory rides. If I just think about the races I do, you know, I kind of get everything from paved criterium racing almost like at a, a epic rides fat tire crit in prescott this past year one of my all-time favorite races uh to unbound to you know durango derby which is a pretty technical rough and tumble mountain bike race 
Um, and there are periods of time where you feel like you're almost racing an enduro, you know, trying to hunt down an extra second or two, taking a risk through rock gardens, all that sort of thing. So I get to ride so many different kinds of bikes, so many different bike setups. I think I've said this multiple times this year, but I don't know that I raced the same bike setup two times in 2023. And by that, I mean, of course, I raced my Allied Echo at multiple races, but never with the same tires or inserts or gearing, certainly not tire pressure. Um, And that's cool. That definitely really keeps it fresh. What are your thoughts on the Echo bike? How often do you flip the chips? Is it the best all-around bike? Right now I'm flipping the chips often because it is both my road bike and my gravel bike here in Spain. Um, It's really the perfect bike for a trip like this because um, it rides like a road bike when you have it in road mode and is a very capable gravel bike when you have it in gravel mode. Um, I love that bike. If you are in the market for a new drop bar bike that can do everything, if you want to race some gravel, if you want to race some crits, if you want to just do your fast weeknight group ride or just shred some awesome road miles, um, that is just absolutely the best bang for the buck. Obviously, it is a, a finely crafted, you know, handmade all in the USA bike. Um, and for that reason, a more premium bike. But you get two bikes in one. So it kind of depends on how you do the math. It's really not that expensive if you consider the fact that you're getting two bikes for the price of one nice bike. Tell us about a ride gone terribly wrong or a bad bonk experience. Uh, Probably the most epic and notorious for me is the Colorado Trail in 2020. Uh, My first time bikepacking, period. Um, And I decided to try to go fast, relatively speaking, um, and just dove into the deep end, tried to set a Colorado Trail record, got about, I don't know, two thirds or three quarters of the way through and just epically fell apart. It was to this day, the most suffering I've ever endured, uh, the deepest I've ever gone, the most scared I've been, just all around greatest challenge I have faced on a bike. Um, And for that reason, I want to go back. Um, I want to tame that monster (laughs) for myself. But in keeping with some of the things we've already discussed uh, in the previous questions, it's just a matter of timing and and finding a, a hole in the schedule. The that pandemic 2020 year was really great for that sort of thing and trying new things. Um, But with the Grand Prix and my race career at the moment, tackling something like the Colorado Trail just uh, for me isn't really in the cards. If you're Lachlan, apparently it is. He's superhuman. Uh, But for me, um, I can't really uh, do both like that effectively. How have you been so wildly successful with non-endemic sponsorship? Um, Wildly successful seems generous. Uh, I have Red Bull um, and some some others that I feel like are sort of non-endemic. It could, you know, Boa, for example, brands that certainly make cycling equipment but uh, are are in lots of different sports. Um, Everyman Jack has been a great supporter of the podcast and. Uh, uh, Dometic has been an awesome supporter of the podcast and, and the Tasmania project and a personal sponsor. So there have been a good handful. Um, certainly the majority is still, uh, bike industry brands, which is pretty typical of, of a cyclist and cycling, I suppose. Um, but a lot of it has been working with agents and agencies, to be honest. And some of it has just been recognizing opportunities, um, and, 
talking to the right person at the right time, uh, lucky timing, um, having an idea of what a brand might be looking for in an athlete, and just, I guess, trying to stay aware and think a little bit outside the box. You know, I think it's really easy to get sucked into just whatever your peers are doing. Um, that's the safe kind of comfortable thing to do, but I've always been inspired by folks outside of cycling and industries outside of cycling, uh, cultures outside of, of the bike riding and bike racing world. Um, so maybe I've just always had kind of one eye, um, elsewhere enough to, to recognize some of those opportunities when they, when they pass by. What's your favorite on the bike workout? Good question. I would say it, it totally depends time of year where I am, all that sort of thing. But I'll, I would say right now it is a big road ride with tempo on the climbs <laughs> somewhere in the mountains with big, long climbs. I could go out and do a five to six hour day where I ride at tempo slash sweet spot on every extended climb on route. I could do that ride a couple of days per week for a while and be happy. Uh, there's just something about the rhythm of it, how much you get to see the speed of it. Um, just athletically, I really love that style ride. Of course, there's times of year where, you know, doing like speed workouts in, in tricky trails is really fun, especially with friends. Um, but right now, yeah, big old, high kilojoule tempo days on mountain roads is what I am dreaming of. Are you stuck with having a mustache for your pro career as that is your brand? Kind of funny story. We were uh, hanging out with some friends last month and I don't really know why, but someone pulled up a, how it came up, but someone found a photo of me without a mustache and everyone was like, oh my God, you look so different. And of course the conversation devolved into you should shave it off. Um, I don't know. I mean, I very much could, of course. Uh, it would just be a matter of taking the leap and the awkwardness of looking at myself in the mirror for the first time in upwards of a decade looking very different. But I think it will happen before the career is over, so to speak. I kind of change my, my hair length often <laughs> when I get haircuts is pretty random. So I don't know. We'll see. And we've also talked about whether this quote unquote brand that I've fallen into needs to be so firm and like cohesive. Who knows? We'll see. No promises. How many sponsors are too many? Talk about the business side of cycling. Good question. Um, I think I've definitely walked the line of that over the last few years. And there could be a time sooner than later where it's a good idea to kind of cut back and uh, really prioritize the brands that I have the strongest relationships with, the longest relationships with. It's it's tricky as an individual racer like this because you know the, the more you hustle, the more payoff there is. And that can be intoxicating without a doubt. When there's a direct relationship with how much work you put in to, you know, how much financial reward you get out often, um, that can be a bit of a trap. So 
different athletes approach it and, and have different mindsets about it. There are the athletes who really, really enjoy the entrepreneurial side. And then there are the ones who really just want to be athletes and only athletes and do the business side of things just because it's a necessary aspect. I enjoy the entrepreneurial side and balance can often be a struggle, but it's something I'm always working on and learning how to draw that line, I would say, better each year. So how you decide how many is too many is very much dependent on who the rider is and just how they want to prioritize in their own, you know, brand situations and partnership situations and various team aspects, all that sort of thing. Any bike packing film trips on the horizon? Yes, if you consider November of 2024 on the horizon. Postseason 24, we'll be doing another crossing. Stay tuned. Reflecting on your season overall, like racing, training, soul rides, equipment, etc. I'm not going to spend too much time on this because I feel like in a way we've talked about it all year, you know, especially with our Grand Prix recaps and such. It was a mixed bag for me. Um, the Grand Prix was overall frustrating from a results standpoint. I certainly had lots of highlights in and around the racing, highlights from within the races, uh, something like the the big battle in the front group at Schwamigan and finishing on the podium there was certainly a highlight. Winning Mid-South again, of course, was a highlight. Um, but there were lots of challenges too. You know, I had another really big crash, just like in 22. Um, some mechanical issues again, though not nearly uh, as, as much as in uh, 22, which is an improvement. Certainly, we made some improvements there. Um, but yeah, I mean, in 24, there's definitely lots of room for improvement still, both in terms of the preparation and execution and how we plan out the year and what we prioritize and all that sort of thing. So I would say to summarize, 23 has left me hungry, but every day I'm thankful for getting to do this. And, uh, I'm working hard to remember to slow down now and then and reflect and be grateful for just how awesome the day-to-day lifestyle aspect is uh, because racing will always be up and down. Um, and if you're completely, you know, a, a slave to the highs and lows, it's going to be a pretty rough ride, no matter how good a racer you are. And so, yeah, sitting back and kind of appreciating it for all of its aspects and, and the career on a whole uh, is something that I want to continue to uh work on and and try to keep in mind advice for the humans on holiday mileage that's a tricky one it is i've wrestled with this over the years for sure you know when you're visiting family over the holidays traveling a lot um i think the conclusion i've come to is it is just not going to be ideal um and that's okay because you know jamming in a bunch of miles during the holidays probably shouldn't be the priority family you know spending time with friends all that sort of thing that's what I try to make the priority it's easier said than done when you're a motivated athlete Um, I certainly have not always been the best about it but uh, that's something that I've tried to think about especially this year is just kind of um, relaxing into the holidays a little bit more and certainly getting out and taking care of yourself health-wise and riding wise and all that sort of thing exercise wise whatever it is you like to do but but making the visiting and the all of the holiday festivities 
kind of the priority. And it's a lot less stressful that way too if you're if you're focused on that primarily rather than stressing about getting an extra hour of, of uh, exercise here or there. After two straight years of consequential, consequential crash injuries on non-technical gravel roads, has it changed your approach to racing in Pelotons? I.e., are you more cautious or more aware of positioning, etc.? And do you feel safer racing on technical single track as a consequence? Um, I haven't changed anything because there's really only so much you can do. So much of the crashing that happens in Pelotons, whether it's on pavement or gravel, um, is just the domino effect of a whole bunch of people trying to be in the same place at the same time. Um, there's only so much can you can do when the real estate that you have to work with is often inches. Um, so no, uh, I learned a, a good lesson at Mid-South in 22 when I looked over my shoulder at a bad time. So I just try to look over my shoulder less. That's ironically also what causes many, many crashes in the road peloton is someone checking over their shoulder. Um, generally a no-no, but also easier said than done when you're trying to keep tabs on your competition and assess situations. In regards to the whether I feel safer racing on technical single track now in comparison, I'd also say no to that just because it's different. You know, when you're hurtling down a mountainside and there's exposure and there's rock gardens and all that sort of thing, there isn't any less danger. Um, it's just different. It's a hundred percent on you instead of others. And as an athlete and a racer, I'm, I'm going to push myself to, to be better positioned in a Peloton by squeezing through a gap or diving the inside of a corner or, staying off the brakes a little bit longer in the same way that I'm going to try to stay off the brakes through a rock garden or through a slippery turn in trail. That's just kind of part of this game and part of the exhilaration of riding bicycles fast, just kind of two different sets of variables. Um, and uh, yeah, unfortunately, part of what makes it dangerous is also part of what makes it so fun. Do you do stretching consistently or yoga? Yes, but I don't have a routine per se. Sort of a funny, uh, I don't know, thing I do. I don't know if this is too intimate, but I do a little bit of stretching in the shower usually. <laughs> I like uh, the hot water just kind of running over your your muscles and uh, yeah, just doing like basic minute of stretching or so. In my experience, the stretching that works for me is the stretching that feels good. I've just found that I, I tend to stretch when I feel like I need it. So if I've been riding hard or I'm in a block, I just find myself stretching more. And it's just kind of whenever it comes to mind in a moment when I feel an ache or pain, I don't have like a 15-minute stretching circuit I do before bed every evening. I know some riders definitely do. But yeah, I, I stretch often. It's, uh, it's just not planned at all, if that makes sense. Do you have any bucket list locations to ride? What about bucket list cycling disciplines you'd like to race at some point? I have a massive list of bucket list locations I'd like to ride, which is one of the reasons that this whole crossings shtick is something that I'm so obsessed with and will continue forward for the foreseeable future. Bucket list cycling disciplines, 
that I'd like to race. Um, man, it's funny. As of racing gravel worlds in Italy, that was almost kind of like the last box for me um, in terms of racing experiences because it was so much like racing, you know, a, a European classic in terms of the style of the course and obviously the folks that were in the race, the culture surrounding the race with all of the the awesome Italian fans that we chatted about in our recap episode for that. So, yeah, I mean, I guess a couple of specific races. So that would be racing styles, but specific races. Um, I'd love to do the Cape Epic at some point. I'd love to do La Ruta at some point. Uh, there's a handful of others, but those are kind of the two most famous and epic, you could say. But yeah, I feel lucky, kind of like I was touching on earlier. At this point, just by the nature of our incredibly diverse race offerings here in the States, I get to basically do a road crit at an epic rides race, and I get to do a 10-hour old-school adventure slog at, at Unbound and everything in between. I'd like to hear about your balance of different types of training workouts outside of the strength training in the earlier question. Intervals, hill repeats, long, slow, zone two, etc. Also, how does your training change when you're taking on a long, extended bikepacking journey like your Iceland outing? Great question. Um, generally speaking, I think most pro racers are adhering to kind of the 80-20 the rule, which, is, which means 80% low intensity endurance, 20% high intensity interval work, that sort of thing. My training is certainly in that ballpark too. It varies throughout the year. This time of year, certainly more hours, more aerobic zone too. Um, when you're sharpening up for a race, especially a shorter race like Schwalmigan, lots more sharp intervals. Um, in terms of where I do the efforts, you ask here about hill repeats, etc. cetera. Um, that depends on the race that's coming up also. So for something like Leadville, um, basically do all of my efforts on long climbs, something like Schwamigan, uh, more likely to do efforts on flatter rolling terrain. So it just kind of depends on what I'm preparing for, uh, in terms of big bike packing, ultra endurance adventure efforts like Iceland, Tasmania, that sort of thing. Um, I actually mentioned this in our episode last week and how I felt so, so prepared for Iceland physically uh, and not at all prepared for Tasmania. Um, Tasmania was not good preparation because it was right after the race season and um, I was sick for two weeks beforehand and just didn't get to ride much at all. It wasn't off the couch per se, but it was definitely... uh, kind of by the seat of my pants, (laughs) pretty big ride to do that by the seat of your pants, but it was such an inspiring goal that, um, I I wasn't going to not do it for that reason. Iceland, I was super prepared for because we did an eight day bike tour around Iceland right before. And this wasn't really planned, but one of the things that I discovered was just that riding around at 160 Watts for eight to 10 hours, eight days in a row, dang good preparation for a 20 plus hour push when you're trying to go fast. Um, and on top of that, all of my gear was so dialed, uh, just kind of being in tune with the environment, knowing how my body was going to respond, not being worried about if it rained for 10 hours straight, which it did. And I just felt so prepared, uh, as prepared as I've felt for 
a challenge, whether it's a specific race or, or something kind of off the wall like that, uh, as maybe I ever have. That was one of the coolest athletic experiences I've had. It's not the sort of thing where you can be like, oh, look at the power numbers, look at the speed, because um, you're just out like surviving Iceland. Um, but just in terms of how I felt uh, unstoppable and, and confident, that was definitely a highlight uh, of, of my riding career so far. Allied Alpha, how good is it? It is stellar. It is the fastest, most fun road bike I've ridden. And it's also just gorgeous. Um, I'm really missing it right now. I love my Echo, uh, but that Alpha is just another step up when it comes to just shreddiness for, for pavement, pavement miles. Can't wait to get back on it. Can we talk you into adding Iceman to your race schedule in 2024? I would love to make it back to Iceman next year, but unfortunately I will be tackling a big crossing at the same time in a faraway land. So 24 will not be the year for a return to Iceman. I'd like to hear more about your strength training evolution, what you're doing this year. If anything, finally, do you have an exercise that works for you, but maybe not for other cycling athletes? Go Skyhawks. Love that. Um, Skyhawks being Fort Lewis College mascot for those not in the know. Yeah, I, I would say that I, I toned back my strength training a lot in 21, 22, and 23. A lot of that had to do with the pandemic and just access to gyms. We have a home gym now in Durango now, so able to be more consistent with that. But a lot of it has also just been my continued research and the fact that it seems really undeniable now that lifting and lifting pretty heavy actually can be beneficial for endurance athletes. So I'm getting back into it this year more so than I have in past years. Also, um, I've been doing much more consistent pre-ride core activation stuff. Our last two episodes with Derek Teal was even more illuminating. I learned even more things that I'll be incorporating. So yes, I think it's, it's good if you're looking to improve as a cyclist and it's also just really good for health, uh, regardless of how you enjoy exercising, um, what your primary sport is. I just think for everything from bone density to flexibility and health overall, it's the right thing to do. How realistic is it to develop elite off-road racers in Texas? Lack of climbing, public lands, and altitude make it seem like everything is stacked against you. It seems like you are the exception. Any advice for kids with aspirations being raised in Texas? P.S. Any chance they'd make a Southern race like the Rattler part of the Grand Prix? Um, great question. This, of course, is a question very near and dear to my heart. I get it. I have absolutely been in that position. Um, I think it's way, it has to be so much harder now uh, being a young rider with social media. Uh, when you're seeing the other athletes around the country or around the world and the communities they live in, the terrain they get to ride and train in, um, it's got to be impossible not to find yourself comparing now and then. Um, I didn't have social media when I was growing up, and in hindsight, I'm grateful for that. Yes, it is possible. Absolutely, it's very possible. And um, I mean, I'm certainly not uh, the exception. There's there's all kinds of examples. Um, th I'm thinking of someone like uh, Lawson Craddock or, or Chad Haga right now, just because I'm in Girona. They're both from 
Texas to guys on the world tour. Um, there are so many examples. Um, so I'll go through kind of the three things you listed here. Altitude. I would not worry about altitude. My perspective on this has evolved significantly. Um, the The thing is, USA Cycling loves to put nationals at elevation, which in my mind is a bummer. I think now and then is great, uh, but the frequency with which it happens is a shame. But in terms of developing as an athlete, riding at altitude can certainly be helpful, but it's not a silver bullet. In fact, I am spending more and more time at sea level on purpose because I feel like spending too much time at altitude is detrimental. In terms of lack of climbing and lack of public lands, certainly get that. Uh, Working on climbing was something that I really had to chip away at for a good handful of years. When I moved to Colorado, it did not come naturally to me. Uh, It was intimidating, um, certainly discouraging at times. But what I did have was an amazing community. I had some local elite level riders that would take me out riding on the challenging Barton Creek Greenbelt often who are faster than me. They were really patient. Um, All the folks at Bicycle Sports Shop were just wonderfully supportive. So what I would say is if you find yourself with um, a good community, with a good support system, whether that's a NICA team to begin with or a local bike shop team, whatever it is, uh, that goes so far. And by far and away, the two things that matter most are talent and desire. If you're talented and you want it, you will make it. End of story. Um, if you just don't take no for an answer, if you get yourself to uh, challenging races, to places with challenging terrain, um, now and then, um, y- you'll get there. It's, it's very much uh, a matter, in my opinion, of talent and just desire, and the rest will take care of itself. Uh, in terms of them bringing a Grand Prix to a Southern race like the Rattler, I would love to see that. And I think it is absolutely a possibility. I don't know how soon, but man, if there was a Grand Prix race back in Texas, that would make my year. Uh, back when they had Pro XCT race in Texas, I just love that. And that would mean so, so much to me. And uh, yeah, I would, I would really love to see that happen. So we shall see. I'll be quietly pushing in the background. Hi, Payson. Really enjoy the show. My question is, what has been your favorite mountain bike race? To expand, what is the race you'd go back to over and over? Because it's just awesome. If you don't have a favorite, then what race is high on your list to do in the future? Answer that last bit earlier. Uh, Iceman is certainly very often named as as people's kind of just favorite. Oh my God, I can't believe how good that race is. It, it's hard to put into words unless you've been to it, but Almost any of those big legendary races in the northern Midwest are like that. Schwamigan certainly has a lot of those ingredients. Um, At this point, it's going to be the Durango Derby for me. You know, a hometown race, really, really fun course. It was its first year last year, and I just think it has a really high ceiling. And it's it's such a great format, but also just having really high-quality single track as the focal point of an event like that is really a treat when so much of our year is based around gravel races and mountain bike races that are not technical and don't have single track. So Durango Derby is an event that I will be going back to every single year, regardless of how the rest of my schedule looks. Uh, 
as long as it is around. Would love to see some of y'all there too. When is the Time and Fish episode coming? I hope soon. Uh, I would love to have him on the show. He set the Colorado Trail official record, not faster than Lachlan's time, but in terms of the strict bikepacking rules that don't include any film crew um, and did a blazing fast time. But he's someone that I like to catch up with just kind of more broadly. Uh, He's had some really incredible, impressive performances all over the place and uh, seems like a really interesting guy. Kind of a bike pack racing specialist for those that don't know. As a multifaceted cyclist, was there a standout influence in diversifying your brand? Not necessarily. Um, I've always just kind of followed my nose and done... I've been fortunate in that I've been in a position to do the events that really excite me and motivate me the last decade-ish. There certainly have been mentors over the years that kind of have suggested or coaxed in one direction or the other because of things that they're seeing happening within cycling or the industry or events that are really on a steep trajectory. Um, But when I started doing Epic Rides events, when I started doing, you know, Leadville 100, Schwamm again, some of these other races, long before they were in the Grand Prix and long before the uh, fields are as deep as they are now, um, it was because it was the events that I thought were really inspiring, really unique, um, had huge fan bases and places that I could have a big impact Um, so yeah, there hasn't been a grand scheme. Um, there hasn't been a a standout influence per se. Um, it's all just sort of been a gradual process. It's been cool to see, you know, so much of the, the competitive U S cycling world kind of come to those events now over the last few years. What is your outlook for domestic road racing? It seems perpetually doomed. Um, I, these things always work in cycles. I don't think it is perpetually doomed. Um, I think continued success from top U S road racers, whether it be Sepkus or Chloe Deigert or Matteo Jorgensen, um, stars create popularity within sport. And just as we saw with Lance Armstrong during that era, um, I think, superstars coming to the fore again in road cycling for the United States, uh, will create growth. Um, particularly if those stars decide that they want to be leaders, um, because there are, you know, some really incredibly successful high level athletes that don't want the spotlight. They don't, uh, don't necessarily want to be leaders per se. They just want to be the best athletes they can be, which is totally fine. But when you combine someone, uh, that wants to be a leader, wants to grow the sport, and is achieving great things in sport, um, big things happen. So uh, I expect road racing to grow in the U.S. again, especially if, uh, you know, the crit scene continues to to creep up in popularity. Uh, there's some, of course, really creative people, very motivated in that space, Um And it should also be noted that there are some awesome historic road races that have kind of hung in there uh, over the years, whether it's something like Joe Martin Stage Race or even something more community-oriented like the Iron Horse Bicycle Classic. So I wouldn't say I think domestic road racing is doomed. It's just in a very significant lull. (laughs) What changes would you like to see to the Lifetime Grand Prix? 
points allocation, venues, prize purse, etc. Went over the prize purse. I think standardizing a prize purse for all seven rounds makes a ton of sense, and I would really like to see that in the future. I think there can be some tweaks to the point structure moving forward, but that'd be a longer conversation about what that is specifically. Uh, Betsy and I discussed that some in our recap episodes this past year. Um, I would love to see a mountain bike, true mountain bike race in the Grand Prix series. I'd love to see Little Sugar um, in the Grand Prix series or another, you know, more technical single track heavy mountain bike race. Uh, sea Otter is a cool course. It is um, long and very challenging, uh, but it's still, you know, maybe half single track generously. So I'd love to see a true true mountain bike race. I mean, we have some epic gravel races in the series, which I love, as there should be. It's a wonderful challenge, those races. Um, but balancing that out with a, a really challenging mountain bike race, I think would be a, an awesome improvement. And that's it. Thank you all so much for sending in those questions. I think we kept that relatively tight. Um, we'll do another one of these in the distant future. I don't know when. Um, but for now, you can uh, expect to hear more one-on-one -on -one interviews and less of my voice in 2024. Hello again, everyone. Thank you so much for a wonderful 2023 Best of luck uh, and best wishes in 2024. Thank you for sending in all of the Q&A questions. Thank you for listening to this episode and all of the others that you tuned into in 23. I would also like to say a very heartfelt thank you to Lily for editing and producing each and every one of these shows. Um, as always, you can go to The Adventure Stash to check in on the socials, get some clips from our episodes, or go to the YouTube channel now. That's just my name, Pace McKelvin, for some six to eight minute clips and then also a couple of full length interviews as well. That's all for 23. Uh, stay tuned. We will be kicking off 2024 episodes, of course, next week. Catch you then. <laughs>